0: What's your favorite thing about garlic?
1: I think that would have to be, it tastes fantastic. What's your second favorite thing about garlic? Keeps the vampires at bay.
0: What is your third favorite thing about garlic?
1: Keeps my coworkers at bay.
0: (laughs) Welcome to The Symmetry Podcast, a home for conversations about faith and humanity that are designed to help people grow. My name is Brad Collins.
1: And I'm Ben LaBoot.
0: And we're your co-hosts for this show. Today we're talking about garlic, but before we talk more about garlic, I'd like to start with the Talmud. I think that most people who are somewhat familiar with the Jewish religion have probably heard the word Torah before, and Torah would mean the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, and that also happens to be the first five books of the Christian scriptures as well, and people in Sunday school will have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, so there's Torah, but what we're talking about today is Talmud, and it's another Jewish word, but I've got some Talmud questions for you, and the first one is, what does the word Talmud mean?
1: Talmud means instruction, teaching, sort of the instruction that a parent gives to a child, that's the sense of instruction.
0: And what is the Talmud?
1: The Talmud is a written record of conversations between Jewish teachers about Jewish law. When was
0: the Talmud written?
1: The Talmud was written over about 300 years using rough dates, began about 200 A.D. and ended about 500 A.D. And
0: for comparison, the Hebrew scriptures were written probably from about 1000 BC to about 400 BC. Next question, what is in the Talmud?
1: The Talmud has six main parts. Seeds, festivals, women, damages, holy things, and purities. How long is the Talmud? If you bought a standard copy of the Talmud, it would be about 6,000 pages.
0: Whoa! (laughs) it's like six times as long as Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, and I was really impressed when other friends would conquer that beast of a book in high school. uh,
1: And the World Book Encyclopedia is about 12,000 pages for reference, so half of the World Book Encyclopedia. So depending
0: on paper size, font size, etc., this could the Talmud could take up like half of a normal bookshelf. So my last question about the Talmud is, since you are the resident expert on the Talmud between the two of us, do you have a copy of the Talmud?
1: Unfortunately, no. That would run me about $1,000.
0: It's (laughs) $1,000. And I'm guessing that the free student printing you had when you were at University of Florida was not sufficient to print out an entire copy for yourself.
1: No, I would have had to be a student for, like, what, 20 years for that? No, it was between the Talmud and the Greek Bible, and I went for the Greek Bible with my free printing. Wow. You are a nerd.
0: And <laughs> kind of talking about the Talmud previously, uh, you had told me about this really cool poetic quote
1: about the Talmud. This is how it was told to me, if the Torah is a flower garden, then the Talmud is like a fence around that garden. So that way the flowers don't get stepped on. So there's some background about the Talmud and there's actually a
0: reason we're talking about this and a reason we found it interesting and it has everything to do with garlic. So Ben, I've already asked you what are your three favorite things about garlic? And so I wanna ask a related question, oddly enough, which is what's your favorite quote from the Talmud? (laughs)
1: If one has eaten a garlic clove such that his breath smells, should he go and eat more garlic cloves so that his breath will smell even more? You know, I think that was the first... So I'm not sure how I found that, but I think it was the first time I ever really heard of the Talmud. And that's what sort of got me thinking, what is this book?
0: And similarly, I hadn't really heard much about the Talmud before either. You know, I had heard of it, knew it was a Jewish book related to uh, like the Jewish religion, but I really had not much more familiarity with it. And then out of nowhere, you're like quoting this book to me as if everyone's reading the Talmud and, you know, it's normal to say, hey, you know, I was reading in the New York Times today and instead you're going, hey, I was reading in the Talmud today, you know, if one is eating a garlic clove and I was not ready for that. And that kind of spurred our conversation today. And it's not just because you like that quote about garlic. It's also because you are kind of obsessed with garlic.
1: I do eat a lot of it, if that's what you're trying to imply. So one could call you a garlic enthusiast. Sure. It keeps me healthy and it tastes great. Fair enough. And, you know, we've been
0: friends for a while, but I did not realize the special relationship you had with garlic until... Your mom came to visit us when we were in Gainesville one time. And kind of out of nowhere, she was like,
1: Ben, why do you smell like garlic? (laughs) That was news to me as well. I didn't think I necessarily smelled like garlic. No one I sat next to in classes at the time or anything told me. So I'm not sure if it's like, yeah, food, food in your teeth and people just don't tell you. I don't know if everyone thinks I smell like garlic. They're not telling me. But apparently my mom, like all good moms, will tell me, Ben, you smell. <laughs> I mean, she literally goes, I think it's so
0: prevalent in your system that it's coming out of your pores and I can just smell it. What are you doing? <laughs> and uh, I, <laughs> I had heard you talk about garlic and I mostly thought you were joking about how much you liked it or how much you ate. But after... That comment from your mom, I really started to wonder.
1: Well, right, it's cheap. I was a student at the time, so outside of garlic and quinoa and rice and things like that, I didn't really have much of a diet. Yeah, apparently I ate more than I thought I was eating.
0: Did that comment from your mother alter your garlic eating habits at all?
1: Not a bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it turns out that the Talmud has a lot to say about garlic, among other things. So, examples include. It satisfies, warms the body, makes the face shine, increases seminal fluid, and kills tapeworms. <laughs> By the way, you can literally Google that quote and find it in case you believe we're just making up random stuff about garlic.
1: Uh, that is from Baba Kama 82 a which is a section of the Talmud. So it's in there. Don't worry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, actually, one of your favorite things, one of the the phrases to describe garlic that you like the most is actually something to do with the Jewish and even Christian concept of
1: the Sabbath day. Yes, garlic is a delight of the Sabbath. What does that mean? God gave the Jewish people one day a week to not work, and that was supposed to be a good day. So there were certain things where it's just, and this is why this day is so great. You know, whatever, we could spend time with family, we don't need to work, we could do certain things, eat garlic, for example. It's just one of those things that makes you realize that that is a special day that God gave you as a gift.
0: I love that garlic is one of the delights (laughs) of Shabbat.
1: Right, of all things.
0: I want to go back to that quote that you really like about garlic in the Talmud, because I think we were both on a jog when you first mentioned that quote to me. And, you know, <laughs> this will be our second jogging spiritual <laughs> conversation story. But it was actually a really deep thing to say if someone has eaten a garlic clove and their breath smells, should you continue to eat garlic so your breath will smell even more?
1: What I took from that is the idea of you know, just because you've done something wrong, something that you don't want to do doesn't mean you need to keep doing it.
0: That kind of reminds me of this accounting principle called sunk cost. So a sunk cost is a cost that has already been occurred and cannot be recovered. And there's a sunk cost fallacy, which uh, has something to do with business, but really extrapolates well to life. It's a misconception. And, you know, you can make a emotional or even tangible investment in something and if it's not going to work out you can keep sinking resource into that thing and thinking that oh i've already spent something on it so now i'm like completely committed when you might have been better off getting out sooner so anyway i think that's a you know interesting modern you know they didn't call it the sunk cost scroll in the talmud or anything but it's uh i don't know it's it's kind of cool yeah, your your favorite quote about garlic is actually really deep, despite the fact that I laughed out loud the first time you told it to me. <laughs> One of the big takeaways for me from that conversation was, you know, I'd heard of the Talmud, but hadn't felt an inclination to really go explore it very much even though theoretically it might be kind of interesting. But then you tell me mo- not just one garlic quote. One garlic <laughs> quote like, okay, you know, of course somehow you found garlic in the Talmud and can justify you eating it all the time. But to have multiple quotes about it, it's just interesting that it came up several times. And this body of Jewish civil and ceremonial law and legend is way more fun than you might expect. Yes, it is. Talking about Judaism makes me think about the many times that I've heard the statement saying Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and that has always fascinated the Christian me and so this begs the question was Jesus Jewish
1: when you read the Bible when you just read about Jesus as a historical figure the answer is yes he he was Jewish there's no such thing as being a Christian
0: Well, actually, the early movement of what's now Christianity is, like, was seen as a Jewish sect and some of the people were called Christians, meaning people that were trying to be like Jesus or like Christ, but it really kind of seemed like a a sect of Judaism when it first started. Are there any places in the Bible that would kind of explicitly say or suggest that Jesus was Jewish?
1: both yeah there's places that imply it. there's places where it's explicit the first one is a page one of the gospel account yeah that that, that's one of those parts of the bible where where a lot of people skip it to be honest and i get it because it's just a list of names but it is the the bloodline of jesus that just traces him back all the way and just proves yeah this guy is from this line
0: the fact that there's a large chunk of this good news writing tracing Jesus' lineage as being Jewish is very interesting to me. And there's also the setting of the four Gospels and Acts and really most of the New Testament, which is a ancient Near Eastern people group, the Jews, who are living under Roman government rule. So like literally the entire setting of the story is in a Jewish society. And then multiple times in the Gospels, people will refer to Jesus as rabbi or rabboni.
1: Which means... Teacher. What about his
0: name? So even the name Jesus comes from a Hebrew name, Yeshua, which means the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. And he pretty much, in almost all of his teachings that we have recorded... He, like, nonstop quoted the Jewish scriptures and would often bring new meaning and interpretation to them, which is actually exactly what rabbis would do. Some, you know, famous ones that were pretty contemporaneous with him included Shammai and Hillel, and even a lot of modern Jews would be very familiar with some of the teachings of Hillel. In fact, one of the rabbi Hillel's most well-known quotes is
1: do not do unto others that which is despicable to you. And
0: so Jesus would have said in a positive flip of that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. So we have written genealogies of Jesus coming from a Jewish lineage. We have the name Jesus itself being a Jewish name. We have Jesus being called in recorded texts, Rabbi, meaning teacher, which is a distinctly Jewish concept. And we have Jesus quoting Jewish scriptures nonstop during his teaching. And, you know, so the answer to the question, was Jesus Jewish?
1: seems to be yes. I didn't realize this until not too long ago. In the Jewish culture, you call the sects of the faith by who they follow. So the Christians, so the first Jews that would later be called Christians, were and are today still called by Jewish people Nazarenes. Because Jesus was from Nazareth. To recap,
0: in this episode we've been following a thread that started with garlic, made its way to the Talmud, made its way back to garlic, (laughs) and then somehow landed on Jesus. And one of the things that this makes me think of is the way that Judaism and Christianity have tended to coexist in a state of disconnect. Understandably so. But this begs another question, for me at least, which is, is faith the kind of thing that should tend to bring people closer together or further apart. And if it is that faith should bring people closer together, then Christianity in particular has failed to do so here. But so I wanna side side note for a second and say that Ben, you like to travel a lot. And so the reason I mention your travel is a while ago you went to Israel and you actually had a, a Jewish tour guide, right?
1: Yes, Ron. And my bus driver was Moshe, Moses. Mo- Moses took me through the promised land.
0: <laughs> Didn't you all stop somewhere and do communion, which is absolutely a Christian and not a Jewish thing?
1: Yes, at the garden tomb, we actually did.
0: Your story really gave me hope. And, you know, even in the prophetic literature in the Old Testament, or the Hebrew scriptures, there's actually a little passage in the book of Zechariah that it actually turned out those words were true while you were in Israel
1: recently. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of Hosts, I myself am going. People, strong nations, shall come to seek the Lord of Hosts, to entreat favor of the Lord. And thus says the Lord, in those days, 10 men from the nations of all tongues shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Ron, my bus driver, read that to us, and he said, this is you. He says, you all are Christians from a strong nation, you know, from the US, but you're taking hold of my robe, he being a Jew, and saying, Ron, take us with you, show us your land, tell us about your God, which also happens to be ours. So these words that were written more than 2000 years ago were true right there between me and Ron and the friend I was with. I think one of the things about faith
0: that is unfortunate is there's this human desire to grow and expand and to learn and to experience to be inspired to not just take a physical breath that gives you vitality but to even take a metaphysical or metaphorical breath that gives your inner person vitality, but one of the universal things that faith does is kind of open us up, and probably one of the most beautiful things that can happen is when people from different backgrounds can learn something from each other, and I think what's funny is there's actually a lot we can learn from each other. Not that a Christian would need to take everything that a Jewish person believes in suddenly believe it, but certainly there's a lot to learn from people of other faiths and backgrounds. And gosh, I just really love that last line of the prophecy you read. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Symmetry Podcast. If you've had a good time with us, please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. You can also find us online at thesymmetrypodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesymmetrypodcast.
1: And until next time, Godspeed.